Hello and welcome to Social Studies, Voices Across America. I'm Bill Wood. And I'm Peter Goldsmith. We're doing something very different today. Uh, we plan on exploring Bill and Peter, let you in on who we are. After 10 podcasts, you might wonder about the podcast and who are the guys doing this on the Agnetus Life website. Peter. Well, you know, Bill, that's true. Uh, you and I have done 10 podcasts, as you've said, and when we were talking the other day, getting ready for this we both thought, let's lighten up a little bit. Let's have some fun and let's put some stuff on uh, that we normally wouldn't. Now, you and I have both, starting out, you and I have both listened to, uh, I don't know if it's an interview or what it is, uh, between former President Obama and former Yankee shortstop uh, Derek Jeter. And it is a hoot. It is really funny and people should go and see it. But I know you pulled out a couple of questions and we wanted to throw those questions back and forth uh, and have a little fun with it. So go ahead, Bill. Start out. You ask me the first one. I'll ask you the second. This might work. It'll be certainly something different. The athlete you've been starstruck by in your entire life, not just now, but in your entire life. That's a great opening for me, Bill, because I'll tell you a little story about that. When I was a young kid, I grew up in New York City, as you know, uh, the pantheon for me of the three greatest people in the world, number three was my father, number two was God, and number one was Mickey Mantle. Oh, wow. I worshipped Mickey Mantle. So here's a little story for you about Mickey Mantle. When I was producing for NBC television in uh, Philadelphia, we got a call one day in the office and someone said, uh, it's for you, Peter. It's Mickey Mantle's agent. And now I was at that point, probably 32 or three, you know, I was a grown man. And I thought, okay, it's one of my friends fooling around. So I got on the phone and said a couple of things that I will not repeat here to my supposed friend. And indeed it was Mickey Mantle's agent. And he said, Peter, Mickey is going to be a greeter in Atlantic city and uh, Philly is the biggest market close to Atlantic City. We'd like to come on your television show and promote Mickey doing this. And I was, are you kidding? Are you for real? He said, oh, no, no, this is real. I said, okay. And he said, how about if we take you to lunch at, at that point, a very famous restaurant in Philadelphia. I don't know if it's still there. It's called Bookbinders, seafood restaurant, wonderful restaurant. And we'll meet you there at one o'clock. I got there at about five to one. I knew everyone there because we used to send guests from the show there to eat and so forth. And I walked in, I was a little sheepish. And I said, I'm waiting for Mickey Mantle. And the maitre d' said, hey, Peter, how are you? He says he's running about five minutes late, but he's going to come. So he'd like you to go to his table and, and have a, a drink, you know, before he comes here. Well, I went to the table. I sat down. I had a Coca-Cola, whatever. And five minutes later, I look up and down the aisle comes Mickey Mantle. I mean, it was incredible. The man, walked, the myth, the legend right there. Exactly. <laughs> Bill, I was like stupefied. I walk. So he walks over to me and he puts his hand out and he says, hi, Peter. He has a Oklahoma draw, you know, and I don't know what possessed me. But instead of saying hello, I said, hey, Mickey, when I was a kid, I used to sneak into Yankee Stadium all the time for batting practice and yell and scream. Hey, Mickey. Hey, Mickey. Hey, Mickey. And you never once looked up and said hello. And he just looked at me and goes, hello, Peter. How are you? We have this wonderful conversation. And of course, he's going to be on the show and so forth and so on. And I'm just in heaven. At the end, 
he takes a baseball out of his pocket and he said, I know that you have a newborn baby, my son, Christo. And he says, I know you have a newborn baby. Let me make the ball out to him. What's his name? And I said, Mickey, let me be honest with you. You make that ball out like this to my best friend, Peter Goldsmith from your best friend, Mickey Mantle. Well, we laugh and that's exactly how he makes the ball out. And I, and I have the ball. I was so nervous with that ball, Bill, that I put it in two plastic bags and FedExed it to my father so that I wouldn't lose it. And to this day, 39 years later, that ball sits in my workshop downstairs in my basement. That's my greatest sports memory. Wow. Go ahead. Wow. Let me hear yours. My, I don't have anything even remotely close to that. While you were talking, I was bumping around. I remember my dad took me when I was young to go see Oscar Robertson play in Cincinnati, and he was still in college, and he pointed out, remember this guy, he's going to be great. And then the other night, he gets a Lifetime Achievement Award from the NBA. But the one thing that I do remember, it came to mind while you were talking there, I mean, you know, I'm a big motorsports guy, and I have always idolized, uh, but I've always been respectful of Richard Petty, the NASCAR driver, and the winningest NASCAR driver. 200 wins, seven championships. And uh, he came into my office once when I was producing the sports in, at a station here in Los Angeles and sat down, had a long conversation. I've, I've asked for maybe five autographs in my life, and Richard is one of them. I got him signed. <laughs> Uh, something. I don't know whatever happened to it. And autographs have never been important to me. But I fast forward, a buddy and I who used to produce TV shows, we were going to do something with Richard Petty, who was called the King, and Richard Nixon, who was some people derisively called him the King when he was the president. So we set this up. We got a long way. We got the third base on this deal. And it was, you know, we were, it was going to happen. So I would call his shop regularly and uh, at one time I called and I got his brother Maurice answered the phone and he's talking to me on the phone and he said are you really the boys that are gonna put us on TV <laughs> I tried to not to laugh but yeah that was one time when I had that kind of interaction one of the great stories around this time frame when they were racing they had the shop on the family farm there in Randleman North Carolina the engine shop was right next to his mom's house and she used to walk out on the porch and just stand there with her hands on her hips when they were making too much noise and she couldn't go to sleep. So he won all those championships cutting it off when mom said, <laughs> let me ask you another one. What would you consider uh, your most proud of in your life? Most proud of, most yeah. proud of. I'm most proud of my kids. My kids, especially my daughter, who uh, might be one of the smartest people that I know, period. Not men. Or, she's one of the, she used to read a book a week and went to uh, law school, graduated law school in two years, passed the California bar in uh, her first try. Uh, I'm really proud of her. Some of the decisions that she's made might be not 180, but 175 degrees different from what I was trying to get her to do. 
but that's what kids do, right? Uh, oh, yeah. All of the stuff. And, yeah, I guess this is the case because there are a couple of times when she was striking out on her own and you leave me alone and the fights with her mom and me and so forth. But I'm most proud of the fact that what I taught her to do was to be independent and to think and to reason and to make decisions on her own. That's become a part of her life. And every time I sit back and say, why is she doing this? You know, that, that other voice on my shoulder says that's because that's where you taught her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that, Bill. You know, it sounds cliche and you and I are very lucky. I am most proud of, uh, well, it used to be my son, but now it's my grandkids. <laughs> so I'm yeah, sorry, right. Christo, take a step back. Uh, but uh, yeah, I know it's cliche and everything, but you know, I feel really fortunate uh, to have children that have really uh, accomplished whatever they've accomplished on their own. And as you know, my son's a acupuncturist and so forth and so on in, in LA where you, where, where you live. Very good, I might say. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, and my, and my grandkids too, you know, how wonderful they're growing up and how open-minded and how clear their thinking is and how respectful they are. And, uh, and that's the way I feel. And, and as you know, I'll be coming out in a few days to your neck of the woods in LA uh, to spend a little time with my grandkids. So I'm looking forward. Let's go for another question, Bill. Uh, all right, here's a good one for you. And then you can, I'll, I'll answer one too. This is, we're, we're going to be diametrically opposed here. Okay. Okay. Bill, <laughs> what is your favorite meal? Oh, <laughs> and I've eaten many times with you, so you got to be honest. I know what you eat, <laughs> and you know what I eat. So go ahead. This, this is a great story. This goes back. My mother uh, told me this story over and over again. I was born at ten o'clock on a Monday morning. On that Sunday evening, she could feel me bumping around in her stomach and knew that I was going to be born soon. So she filled herself up with my grandmother's fried chicken. And my mother told me that I was forced out with fried chicken. (laughs) So one of my favorite meals is fried chicken in the standard black-eyed peas and rice and greens and blah, blah. My mother used to tell me I should hide my face in in uh, embarrassment whenever I'd go past the chicken farm. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I'll eat that meal with you as I have, as long as you keep the chicken off my plate and out of there. The rice and the greens and the black-eyed peas uh, and a nice salad are good for me. I'm a vegan, obviously, as, as you know from eating with me many times. But yeah, that's one of the things we don't quite see eye to eye, but it's all good. Tell me about a role model of yours Growing up, Bill, I find myself uh, being my dad uh, so so much so that this is a great story. I was in a shoe store once buying some shoes, and this tells you how long ago it was. Those little mirrors that they used to have sitting on the floor, where you could see the shoes that you were wearing, and uh, there was one there in front of me, just off at about eleven o'clock. And I decided on three shoes. I was trying to make up my mind on three shoes. And as I glanced across the shoes on the floor, I looked in the mirror and saw my dad. And it so unnerved me that I got up and walked out. Uh, Mm. And the guy said, where are you going? Are you going to buy these? I said, I can't deal with that right now. Uh, But I've learned that 
if I could be half the man that my dad was, I consider my life a success. I wouldn't have said that when I was growing up, but like most kids, the older we get, the smarter our parents become. And that's, my dad probably would have been my role model growing up. I would say growing up, my dad was absolutely my role model. Just a wonderful guy, strict, hardcore, uh, but just wonderful and really set your nose to the grindstone. And, and, you know, when you look back, glad that he did. Uh, but I will say that I, one of my real role models was, became a real good friend of mine and has passed away uh, since, was a professor that I had when I was doing my master's degree. And uh, I wanted to do some very experimental things and really break a lot of molds. And uh, I got told by everyone at the college Oh, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. And he came up to me and he said, I'll back you. Do whatever you want. I know you're committed. I know you're a bright guy. Uh, really do what you want to do. Set out on your own. Set your own path uh, and put the work in and put the diligence in. And I think you'll be okay. And, and I did. And, and I, I did get my degree. So I probably did okay. But the fact that he believed in me and the fact that you can believe in a student and really change that student's life is a big deal for me. And as you know, I, I, I'm a part-time teacher here where I live at, uh, in North Carolina. And that's what I try to imbue in my students. You know, I want them to think, you know, here's a person who believes in me, who trusts in me, who has my back and will really help me and guide me through this stuff. So he was a big role model. I mean, Jim Ayers was his name. He's long since passed this is kind of one of the questions that we had in the list. What are uh, some life-changing moments that you had when you were growing up? And I think one of the biggest sort of dovetails right out of what you were saying, I was on my way to becoming a lawyer when I was in college. Uh, I reached uh, the end of my sophomore year, and I wanted to go into uh, automotive engineering. And I went to the campus library and got some catalogs out. And in both cases, I was going to have to start over again because I didn't have enough math or science. I uh, went to a professor, a political science professor who was giving me A's at the time. And this is how life works, Peter. It's those things that you write into a movie script. He was in his office. The door was open. He wasn't busy. And I just knocked and said, hey, can I come in? I think his name was Willis. I, can I come in and sit down? He said, sure, come on in, Bill. And uh, I sat down. I explained it all to him. He sat back in his chair, kind of rocked back a little bit. He said, why don't you change to journalism and write about cars? You're a pretty good writer. And uh, I had some reality for that. So I changed to journalism, wrote about cars, and that's been my entire life for 50 years. And that's kind of what you were saying from this guy. Tell me, uh, for you, do you have another life-changing moment in your life that you could remember now? Yeah, I have a really interesting life-changing moment. Uh, I... I was living in California as a very young guy, and I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was writing poems and plays and things of that nature. And one day, I had just gotten married. One day, we decided to, we were living in an old Volkswagen van. Sounds like, oh my gosh, you're living in a van, but it was totally hilarious and wonderful, and we really enjoyed it. 
we drove to New York City to see our parents. And as I left my mother's house, she said, you be careful and you don't pick up any hitchhikers. I said, okay, mom, we'll do. We got down to Virginia and there was a hitchhiker on the side of the road. So, of course, we pulled over and picked him up. We started talking and he said, oh, take me home and have a meal with us. and You can spend the night. My father is the head of the drama department uh, at which is Holland's College at the time. It's now Holland's University in Roanoke, Virginia. Uh, we did. We had a meal. I spoke with his father about my ideas for playwriting and including poetry in, in the play and so forth and so on. And he just looked at me and he said, you should go here and do a master's degree. I'd like to offer you a scholarship to do your master's degree. And that's what happened. I was afraid to call my mother and tell her that I picked up a hitchhiker. So I made up some cockamamie story about how I got there. And years later, I said, Mom, I got to be honest with you. Here's a true story. So that was life changing for me. Uh, that set me on a path of writing seriously. And I've done the same thing my whole life. So let's, ch let's change a little bit. I have an idea for us now. And you and I have been playing with ideas one of the things that I do, I don't really spend a lot of time on the internet. I'm not really, you know, as my students say, I'm not really digitally native, but I do know how to get on the internet. And I do look at all this, the 10 richest, the 10 biggest, the 10 most important. I know it's a lot of malarkey, but it's a heck of a lot of fun. So I've pulled out a couple of those lists today. Tell me the world's most expensive home as of 2018. Outside of Buckingham Palace or one of those kinds of places, there is a like a thirty million dollar home or something that has got two separate wings. And I mean, I I can see the picture, but I'm not sure where it is. Something tells me it's on the East Coast. Am I wrong? Oh, you're so wrong, Bill. You're so wrong. <laughs> well, they say that the world's most expensive house is Buckingham Palace. But that's a little above your budget. I know you're a wealthy man. Yeah. But that's right. a little above your budget. The world's most expensive home is in Mumbai, India. It's a 27-story building. Oh, I've seen pictures of this thing. Right. Well, it, it, it's so big it has five floors of parking spaces. Yeah, right. It's right. got swimming pools and movie theaters. And, you know, it's something that you might consider if you want to leave Los Angeles and move to Mumbai. Uh, it's only $1 billion. Yeah. I got another one for you. Here's another one. Okay. I'm going to take you closer to home now. This, If you get this one, Bill, when I get to L.A., dinner is on me, any restaurant you want. All right. Okay? okay. There you go. The highest grossing film adjusted to $2018 in history. And I really hope you don't get it because I don't want to buy you dinner. It comes to mind, Avatar. Could Avatar be the be the highest grossing? You were so close, but again, <laughs> you're wrong. Okay, you're not going to believe this when I tell you the gross is three point four four zero million dollars. Gone with the wind. Yeah, it's been around long enough. And I know back. Avatar, by the way, is second with just three billion. Star Wars, which was my guess before I looked up the answer. 2.8 billion. I would, I would, wow. That's the story of my life, finishing second. That's been the story. Yeah, well, you know what? That's pretty good, though. When you got 20 people in the race, you finish second, it's pretty good. We got to learn that as a lesson. Yeah, right. You know, uh, uh, yeah. they always say that going three for 10 
sounds uh, terrible, but that gets you in the Hall of Fame in, ba- exactly. in baseball. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. I got one more. For, I know you got a bunch for me. Tell me America's favorite food. America's favorite food, I would guess, would be a hamburger. You know, that's exactly what, and not even a veggie burger for me. That's exactly what I guess. But a burger is number seven. Oh, wow. French fries are number four. Ice cream is number three. Chocolate is number two. And number one is pizza. 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 And in the list that I looked at, it did not even have a hot dog in the first seven. Two things about a hot dog. One, is it a sandwich? What do you think? You think a hot dog is a sandwich? Well, even though I am a vegan now, until I was 18, I was not. A hot dog is a sacred item, Bill. <laughs> a hot dog is a hot dog is to quit. Is a hot dog is a hot dog is a hot dog to paraphrase Gertrude Stein. Okay. Yeah, I don't right. care if it's a sandwich was I to this day still eat vegan hot dogs. Now the key with a vegan hot dog is you have to get a really good roll and toast it lightly, put on some mustard and some sauerkraut, anything else you might like because, and I hate to say this about my vegan brothers and sisters, eating a vegan hot dog plain is like eating some Scott towel. <laughs> it's just, it just ain't good. But having one of those like that, it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah hot dog. I'm glad you said mustard uh, because some people want to put ketchup on a no. hot dog. And no. to me, that's, you know, you can't, that's in con- That's, you know, in New York, that's against the law. Yeah. Right. You can't. That's against the law. What's your favorite in LA? What's your favorite hot dog joint in LA? There's just one place called Pete's that I told you that uh, I call. Yeah. It's just a burger joint, and uh, I call him, and the guy sticks it on the back. One of the best, though, is Dodger Stadium, the Dodger Dog. Dodger Dog, yeah. That Where you could go, and when I used to be in the media, I'd sit in the press box. My seat was right behind the guy who uh, was the, the supplier from Farmer John supplied the hot dogs for Dodger Stadium, and huh. I had a th- I had a group where we had a big summer picnic, and I asked him. I said, "Is it possible?" He just looked at me and says, "I was wondering when somebody was going to ask me that." <laughs> that was the first time that summer that anybody had come to him. He got me two big boxes of Dodger dogs. Whoa! And, uh, we grilled them outside. All the kids, these are just like Dodger dogs. And I didn't want to tell them they were, but you right, know. right. But they said, these are just as good as a Dodger dog. When I go to a baseball game, you get two Dodger dogs, bag of peanuts, and something to drink, whether it's lemonade or beer or a, a Coke or something. Oh, but yeah. That's, that's where you start. Any baseball game you go to, that's Hot where dogs. you start. You put Absolutely. a little mustard on it. And a little bit of um, a good relish. One of the best relishes I've ever had. This is a tip of the hat to your New York. One of the best relishes I ever had was I got in a subway one day at um, some subway stop. It was dry. It was dill. It was delicious. And uh, I just put that on there and I was two or three steps away from it before I took the bite and I turned around and started to go back and get some more, but I had to catch my train. 
uh, it was uh, one of the best relishes I've ever oh, yeah. had. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I I never would have a hot dog with relish. It's it's relegated solely to a hamburger, yeah. uh, veggie burger now. But I'd say Katz's is probably the best hot dog that I remember eating. And when I go to New York, I still go to Katz's. I don't eat the hot dogs, but I do get their French fries, which have cooked in the same oil for about 107 years. So who knows what's in there? But boy, they're tasty as heck. You're good. You did some stuff. I know you did. You were telling me before about some disclaimers. T- tell me about those. One of the great things, we're getting close on time here. The list of nine uh, greatest disclaimers, everybody laughs at uh, advertisements. The one that's the greatest here is uh, drug Accutane that's used for acne, uh, right? Accutane acne. But some of the disclaimers are depressed mood, trouble concentrating, sleep problems, crying spells, <laughs> aggression <laughs> or agitation, changes in behavior, hallucinations, thoughts of suicide or hurting yourself, hearing problems, blurred vision, seizures, severe pain in your upper stomach, chills, severe diarrhea, rectal bleeding. <laughs> but, hey, you won't have... You don't have any more acne. You don't have any more pimples. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. I mean, that stuff is just... And, you know, what the best part is, the, obviously, the government forces them, thank the government, yeah. uh, for, for uh, those things, putting them on, because they would never tell you that. So it's pretty great that at least the, the FDA, I guess, it is, steps in and makes them tell you that. Yeah, some of these advertisements, I've timed them before. There'll be a one-minute commercial, and there'll be – I've, I've counted as much as 46 seconds of disclaimers on this one-minute commercial. Now, there's this one thing – Advair is an asthma treatment, and we laughed at this earlier, an asthma treatment. One of the disclaimers is asthma-related death. <laughs> so, yeah, but you won't have asthma. But you won't have but asthma. You won't you'll, have a, you'll be dead. The good news is no asthma. The bad news is you're dead. Here's the last one. Viramist treats allergy symptoms with a gentle, fine mist that is scent-free. Okay. Among the disclaimers, nasal sores, glaucoma, cataracts, and nasal fungal infection. Most <laughs> disturbingly, ads for Vermis used to say the way Vermis works is not entirely understood. Right. Yeah. So, so spray this stuff in your nose and see what happens. Yeah, we you know what? what? We don't know I'd if like it'll work also- or not. But I'd like to also say I've got a bridge for sale if anybody's interested after right. hearing that. Now, the one thing that, again, this is part of my news DNA. If somebody listening and your doctor has told you to use this, then you follow your doctor's orders. We're not telling anybody to stop, but we're just right. saying that that's what the uh, the government has said. And some of the tests it might be way to the left or way to the right of the control groups, but some of the tests have shown these problems, and it's crazy that we have to have these disclaimers in the stuff. But You're right, Bill. It's crazy, but it's good. And certainly, if your doctor has prescribed it, he or she probably knows uh, how to prescribe it and what dosage and so forth. You know, we have a, there was a study done years ago that yogurt uh, gives cancer to, to rodents, and they fed, yeah, well, what happened was they fed 500, the equivalent of 500 cups of yogurt a day to, to rodents. And they, uh, yeah, 
I don't know anyone. It's just, it's the same kind of thing here. No, we're, we're, we're certainly saying when, when prescribed by a physician, these things can be healthy. And, and if you are prescribed, you should certainly take one or, or them, but you should also be aware of what you're taking and the side effects. And if you're concerned, talk to the physician, obviously. And again, she or he will will set you straight. Before we go, I, I just want uh, to say that, you know, uh, this is, I think it's our 11th podcast. We've been getting really wonderful feedback on the podcast. We've been getting really good comments uh, and how much people like them. And again, we're very thankful for that. We really appreciate that. And I, I would ask people to please uh, certainly send us positive comments if you like. Do not send us negative comments because I have a very thin skin. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but certainly send us anything you want. But please get involved. If there's something that you'd like us to do, uh, we have a couple of people who have sent us ideas for podcasts and, and one or two of them are pretty darn good and they will be coming up eventually. But if you, if you please uh, have an idea, get involved with us, you know, send us ideas, send us comments. As again, I say, I have thin skin. So if they're negative, send them to Bill. If they're positive, (laughs) send them to me. (laughs) And uh, so I just wanted to put that in uh, because we're really pleased with how you guys have responded and we thank you for your response. We're getting thousands of people that are coming to the website every day. We thank you for that traffic. Uh, com. It's for people like us, educated, 60 plus, uh, interested in life and what's going on around in that life. Until we see each other the next time, take care of each other and respect each other. Peace. Peace.